Welcome to NFT Tales, our podcast to talk about our adventures in NFT land, current events in NFT world. My name is Jonathan Smith. And my name is Jeremy Craig. This is episode 12 of the podcast titled NFT Undies Backlash. In this episode, we plan to discuss some current events. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the backlash around NFTs um, and what it means to us and what, what our perspective and then we're going to get into a history lesson about the history of NFTs because I've really been geeking out. I'm going to lecture Jeremy anyway, so y'all might as well come along for the ride. So, ready to do it, Jer? You know, any conversation about undies has to be a good one, so let's get into it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Jeremy, for me, the headline of the week is the fact that Facebook... You know, it came out that they're basically what is the VR division is losing ten $10 billion a year, that they're actually losing users for the first time ever. They seem distracted. They seem, seems like the meta direction kind of took them off path and investors bailed on them. They had the largest uh, capital cap decrease of a company market cap in the history of the stock market. And so basically I think what I would boil out of that, and then look, I'm not, no, not a professional in this field, but I feel like what you're going to get out of that, which you're already seeing people write articles about is that the metaverse is not upon us or at the very least how it's been defined so many times. It's kind of an old concept that's rolled on or whatever, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think you're going to see less hype around meta and the metaverse and so on now that they've had such a big backlash i don't know am i crazy jeremy you think it's still gonna keep rolling you know i i actually wanted to hear what you had to say about that because part of me wondered if it was a backlash towards zuckerberg's meta or you know just the metaverse in general because i do think that you know he's kind of entered this realm of you know, being able to be hated for no reason other than being a successful dude. I mean, I, I sometimes don't always agree with his policies and, and some of the stuff they do. But um, I mean, what was the backlash to? Was it against Metaverse itself or, or Facebook? You know, at the, well, at the end of the day, it was investors just feeling that they don't have confidence in the company anymore in the direction they're going. Just like us bailing on an NFT project or something, right? Like they just, okay, I'm going to sell. I, I, they're losing users. They're getting distracted. I, what I've read is, is that TikTok has really taken them on in a lot of different markets um, directly in that kind of more media, social media space mm-hmm. while Zuckerberg is distracted with this dream of VR. I mean, look, I love VR. And I think a lot of people have, you know, we've all read or watched Ready Player One and we think it's cool or whatever. And, but What's happened with Facebook, I think, is they jumped in headfirst. Zuckerberg really believes in this concept that that's where this is going. And that's their moonshot, so to speak, to have something beyond Facebook. And really the problem is, is that the social media world's becoming saturated. There's no more growth left there, right? And investors are really looking for this meta thing to provide the next boom of growth. And it might be there. Maybe he's right. But it's not coming there tomorrow. And I think anyone who's making investments about a metaverse that's on like the edge of our fingertips or something, no, they just got pushed farther back. Like the release date just got pushed, right? Like, um, but other people get in NFTs though, Jeremy. Other companies get in NFTs. My other favorite news of the week was just the news about GameStop getting in NFTs. Uh, there's a lot to talk about this. There's a lot of exciting things, you know, to get into. What was your initial reaction though? Um, you know, I just read the tagline and was was happy. I I always like the GameStop 
you know, Reddit clan because I feel like that's a a really passionate um, crowd. But I think if I remember correctly, they said they came out on Arbitrum or no IMX, right? IMX, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love both parts of that. So, so first of all, yes, it is cool that. I mean, okay, it's GameStop. So a lot. That, so there's that gamer connection. I'm talking to the other podcasts about like how gamers really want NFTs to be in their life, and so there you go. GameStop did it. But also, you're right in that, in a way, like it also was this meme stock recently that a lot of people in our generation used as it as like a wealth engine or or like a play or something like that. Uh, that this cross generational play almost that got shut down because it was through the tr- traditional system. I think mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of people. Kind of made them jaded and moved into the crypto space more and out of markets more, you know, traditional markets more. And for GameStop to be doing the same thing, it's like, welcome to the party, pal, right? Like, it is it is kind of like the perfect entrant, but they're doing it smart, kind of. You know, I do think Immutable, going to an L2 out the gate and one that's been fairly well developed and cutting that deal, I think that that's a great thing. From what I understand, they're using Loopring at some level, which has been primed up, ready to go. I think is a great layer, uh, layer two assessment type model where... They're trying to extend out as they're going. They're they're pulling in good technology, just not any technology, just not like, you know, grandpa's blockchain or something like that. So I, I like their tech decisions. But with that said, I hope they just hand it off to whoever made those decisions and let them run the show. Because as part of it, they got this grant in IMX that uh, they were going to use to fund this thing. And usually whenever these kind of grants come around, the companies sell them off in a period of time. It's like, they're, they're kind of savvy about markets a little bit, right? Nah, they just like dumped it. IMX just crashed. <laughs> I remember you messaging me like, and Ryan mixes at this. And I looked at it, I was like, it's even lower. And I'm looking at it and it's like, because stupid GameStop dumped it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they cut this deal with the right platforms. And then they dump whoever, 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 got them on board with this they just need to follow 100 just like here's our bag of money that we made last year and a bunch of dumb 20 somethings like go <laughs> like, yeah, i mean <laughs> honestly i think that's what it is i pick someone or something came out this week and ended up minting out at three ether and it was like a 70 million dollar there's no game like there's nothing to even demo like it so you can have an actual game come out on others and actual playability and utility that don't get any valuation. And then you can have some projects that don't even have a product evaluated at, at 20 times that. So it there's no logic right now. And that that's kind of the beauty of it, right? That's what we talk about is that to us, it is almost like gambling. Like it, you got to ape in on something because as logical as you think you can make the market, it's, it's always going to the market can stay illogical longer than you can stay solvent. That's true, but there also is kind of a building consensus, I think, that's coming around on this. And I'll tell you what, Jared, let's take a break real quick. When we come back, we're going to touch on some more topics. We're going to get into, you know, underwear backlash. Yeah, so we'll be right back. Uh, So let's talk a little bit about that backlash. So... The underwear company. You do this one, Jer. Well, I mean, uh, I'm not even sure I completely understand it. So we're going to tag team this one. But obviously, with as many corporations and, you know, big companies coming in, they're all trying to capitalize on any opportunity they get. And so you had one that came out and had a MyUndies NFT, and they tried to to drip a Bay Area Yacht Club in it and offended people? Or is it just the NFT MyUndies is that horrible? So it's like because me, uh, the MeUndies showed support 
for NFTs and try to like play in the Bay Area Yacht Club space or whatever, there was a huge backlash online. All these people like saying, oh, my gosh, here's how you cancel it. And here here's a company that you can give to that actually cares about the environment and isn't using the evil blockchain or whatever to burn the environment or whatever. Um, wow. It, it, yeah, a little bit of wow. It's that kind of story that we that, you know. Is it going to be, was it a monthly underwear mailer? Like if you yeah, had it's, the, it's one of those things. Dude, that's right? actually a great idea for dudes. They don't have to wait till Christmas to get undies every year. They could literally <laughs> say, I own a Genesis underwear NFT and I get a new pair of underwear a month. You know, maybe that's the answer is all of a sudden NFT folks should be using their under, this underwear company or whatever. I think they backed off though. I think they already like retreated because that that's part of it is they were like, uh, Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> We're not yeah. going to get into this if there is a backlash. So, yeah, the, yeah, it has the me on it. The Bayer Yacht Club has the me on it. But, you know, the, there's part of this backlash that's just Bayer Yacht Club's popular. It's mm-hmm. officially popular. It's hit like it's the first NFT that has hit like this critical mass. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the punks were in your news column on your newspaper, like Bayer Yacht Club's on your in your face, like. It's on your night, you know, your TV show or whatever. Twitter so, feed, Instagram feed, it's everywhere. I mean, it's on, yeah, you turn on, you know, television, it's all over the place. And so I think that it's just backlash to what's popular. I don't like Marvel movies. I don't like Barry and Yacht Club. I think a little bit it's that. And yes, I am trivializing your pr- opinion to some people, just like you do for us NFT fans. But I think a little bit of this too, NFTs have just kind of made some people come unhinged about like, anything associated with them. Like if you're in certain spaces, not only is it not cool, well, now our NFTs uncool, but it's the kind of thing that some people are getting very knives out about. And we obviously don't see that. We live in NFT world, right? Oh yeah. I, you know, was putting up a roof today and asked the roofer because he brought his kids out if his kids who were 11 and 13 knew what NFTs were. And the 13-year-old said yes. And I asked him which chains and he said Ether and Solana. And I was like, whoa, you kind of actually do know. So, I mean, I'm asking as many people that I can cross paths with if they're aware of what an NFT is. And if they say yes, I ask, you know, have you heard of this chain? Have you heard of this collection? Like, just to kind of gauge reactions and, and see what people really are coming on board at. Like, it's it's a thing. We like it. It's a hobby. It doesn't have to be your thing. You know, like, yeah. you don't have to come with knives out at us. But I think for a lot of these people, they don't see it on that level. They, you know, they've been indoctrinated that all of it is a scam. There's no one out there having fun like me and you, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. They're just doing it for the hell of it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're impossible, right? And, or even worse, that me and you, we've invested and we have bags. And so you can go and talk to all those people. You're trying to, it's like a multi-level market scheme or whatever, where you're trying to sell, you know, to the next bunch of people or whatever. And there is a little bit of that. We've talked about that for that bag holder element, but I don't think why that's why a lot of NFP people get so excited about it. I mean, I really think we all see it. There is a lot of that chillish, yeah. like, right? But there is a lot of like genuine, this is cool. You know, there's always going to be paper chasers and, and, you know, rent seekers, but then you can get into a community that's not in it for the floor price or, you know, flipping the project. They're in it for what the project stands for, for the alpha that they have. I mean, you know, the, the Godzilla, um, discord is, is awesome. The llama verse, like there's just so many ones that I go into that, 
you know, it, they're talking about multiple projects, they're talking about multiple technologies, and it, they do have that, um, you know, success does not have to be mutually exclusive. So you can succeed and I can succeed as well. So it there's obviously profit-driven motives, but um, they want to see the the sector as a whole benefit. That's you know, Diamond Dogs, Evan Mendoza, I, I love that project, and he's always preaching positivity. It's been a slow min out, and I finally minted one. Um, no shameless shill there. Just check it out. It's it's a perfect example of someone that loves art and just stays true to the project and consistently, you know, produces even when the market's up, it's down. It's it's what you want. I would shout out to the honeys that finally minted out recently. I was yep. so excited about that. She's been just been grinding on that for the longest time to get that one minted out. You know, it's someone that you like in space and up rooting for. We had those people. We know those stories. We've seen those people again, again, again that that are driving forward and putting out there what they think is good work and that a lot of people appreciate and willing to give good value for. And we're having fun. And you know, for people to write off the whole sector as Ponzi scheme or whatever is completely discrediting anything that is real that we in the community and all that. And and that's really disrespectful. We obviously don't really like that and we don't really have much to say for it. It's just people turning their brain off. I think the environmentalism thing is the same kind of problem. Some guy did some math that wasn't too accurate. People just turn their brain off. Cherry pick some statistics and now won't listen to anything else. Yeah. Hopefully we can bring a few people you know, to the center of the aisle and, and listen and, and maybe see our perspective because everyone needs to be able to enjoy this and have fun like we are. You know, it, 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 well, maybe not. Maybe it's not for everyone, but I will say this. It's not going anywhere. So if you hate NFTs, somehow you're 20-something minutes into a podcast that hates about NFTs and you hate them for some reason. It's just, wow, I, I'm impressed, okay, if you are that person. But it, but let's say you did that. Um then we, what we would tell you is, is that they're not going anywhere. In fact, if anything, this is going to get bigger and bigger and there'll be more and more people that are going to excite about owning their part of the digital space. And in fact, I think as we move forward, the, 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 the history of NFTs and how we got here are going to be a big story that people are going to be really engaged in and will be just as museum worry of any history of any nation or any other imaginary line we've ever drawn on a map. So... Yeah, my NFTs, my mom is not selling them in a garage sale, neither is yours. Like, that, that's done for. That's done for. So when we come back, I'm going to tell a story about the history of NFTs. Let's do it. Okay, Jeremy. So for this part... Let's go ahead and I want you to get us started because I need you to define for everyone, for you, what is an NFT? Obviously, it's something I've chewed on back and forth because I've had to describe it to quite a few people. So I've had to dumb it down because I usually start with my top shot basketball moment. So I I always, you know, say what the acronym stands for, non-fungible token. Um, but I say it's a representation of a smart chain contract, um, usually depending on what um, I'm talking about at the time. I say an NBA moment or a JPEG. Yeah, right. You get into the J. Okay. So let's get into a couple pieces of your definition, and then we're going to roll it back. So the blockchain part of it is essential, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything that we're doing has to be on a blockchain. Um, you said smart chain, but... That okay. that might be debatable too. No, no, no. We're going to get into it. This is important to break these down so that way we can know 
where this stuff truly began. I think some of it is the fact that there is a visual representation. I'm big on NFT meaning a visual representation. The technical definition might not actually be there, so we can get into that. But I like how you've kind of laid out something that anyone can get their brain around. So let's go back in the time. The ancient days. Oh, my God. This makes us both feel <laughs> old. The ancient days of 2011. Bitcoin back then couldn't just be bought so easily, Jeremy. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. It was hard to get on an exchange. You, you, I actually bought Bitcoin back then off eBay. I bought one. And it was like way overpriced for the time. I think at the time it was, no, I don't even want to say it. It's going <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> to hurt. But anyway, and after I got the one, I needed two. So I messaged the chick back and I was like, can I just buy another one? She's like, you're the only person that ever thought of that. Yeah, sure. Do you want some more Bitcoin? I was like, nah, I don't need that many. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, it's my moment. But anyway, so if you go back to these ancient dark times, at mm-hmm. that point, you the Bitcoin was blockchain, blockchain was Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. But there was a push to have, just like we have the ENS name service, just like everyone's used to the DNS name service, which, by the way, is like Amazon.com or Google.com. There was a push to have a .bt name service for um, Bitcoin. And the founder of Bitcoin... Last thing that he, 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 she, whatever, worked on was Namecoin, which was the first fork of Bitcoin. Namecoin's whole purpose in this world was to set up domain names for Bitcoin address, .bt addresses, that then could be used to uh, transfer Bitcoin around like we do ENS addresses, right? So if you mm-hmm. go back to 2011, the, the very first one was like Bitcoin.bt. Mm-hmm. Um, by some people's de- definition, that was the very first NFT. In fact, in a white paper, uh, Ethereum white paper, it was argued that anything from that time period that was an extension of the blockchain in that way it was technically an NFT. I'm with you. I think it needs to have a visual component to it. But within a year of Bitcoin.bt, some people used a code. So, you, so there's an encoding language. It's called puny code, so that way you can use a set of characters, and then it, you that would actually represent like a Japanese word or something along those lines in mm-hmm. the kanji. Or so, um, anyway, you can also represent pictures with puny code. So some people figuring this out built .bt addresses that whenever you put them in a puny code translator, pop out a little image. And as far as anyone can tell, these were probably the first code-based, on-chain actually, visual representation of a blockchain asset mm-hmm. um, that was possible. Now, it's a little bit weird in that you couldn't actually own them. You were registering the service, just like DNS, and so you could lose access to it, like actually some of these people did, and me and Jeremy swooped up and got mm-hmm. a couple the Thank other day. You. Thank you, whoever did it. But anyway, um, so that, not any from, by the way, don't even message us. We don't have any 2011s. Like, we don't have it. Uh, no. we, we didn't get luck, that lucky. You know, we just got some pretty pictures. We'd be in the Bahamas if we did. <laughs> but at the end of the day, this early 2011 representation is probably the first artifact, or artifact that we can find on the blockchain to represent what meets most of the definition of what you 
said for NFT. Now, the one thing that I feel like it doesn't meet compared to a modern NFT project is this is people kind of working around the system. Like the peony codes weren't really meant to be little images. Like only people found them by honestly the value in the space kind of getting people to go root this stuff out and all that. Yeah. Uh, and the amazing people that did find it and were willing to share it so that this could be this bigger thing, you know, that was well known about. But on this name coin service, that wasn't just puny codes. A couple years later, there was the Blockheads, which was meant to be like a Twitter avatar on the name coin service that were little pictures of dudes. This was the first avatar ever in an NFT. Then a little bit later, people started just putting like, uh, oh, in 2014, there were Twitter eggs that were on uh, put on the Namecoin service to represent actual image files. Uh, to a lot of people, these were among the very first NFTs that go for something like 30 ETH right now. Mm. Yeah, mm. like those rap things. So that was something that is now considered one of the, the big legacies of that uh, name, that NMC, if you ever seen NMC, that's the name coin, from that name coin time period, um, which were these early images. There was other images like pictures and stuff on there. The art, the first art was in that, in my opinion, was in the, okay, art as defined in like traditional art, like not, I think honestly the puny codes in a lot of ways are art because it's just people trying to be creative and it's that part of the mind and all that. But like what you're, you know, your parents would see on a wall and go, oh, that's hard, you know, like that. I think it was that Susby's piece. But the, the, if you go back in this time period, there wasn't really anything that was trying to be an NFT like there was today. There, there wasn't anything that was meant to be this kind of bigger, expansive project. Ain't not, nothing, anything that you can kind of get your hands around, right? Mm -hmm. Until 2015 rolls around. So, we, so puny, so the name code era gets us to from 2011 to about 2014. Then in 15, Spells of Genesis came out, which was a blockchain-based game. And Spells of Genesis, this this card game, in a lot of ways, was the closest thing to kind of like an NFT like we think of today. It wasn't anything that's like, let's make this thing that's like maybe artistic, maybe collectible, like in a series. Like any of the stuff that we're used to today wasn't really that until... 2016. 2016, we see the emergence of Rare Pepes. Rare Pepes were a purposeful NFT made like an NFT. There's a series of them. I think there's 34 series, 32, something like that, um, that ran from 2016 to through 2018. In each one of these series, it had different sets, basically. So the same card repeated over and over and over. The idea was that there was a game around it where you could burn these cards. And then by burning them, the account would decrease and all that. Um, but I don't know if that's being engaged with that much. With that said, a whole system was built around this. It's called a counterparty asset. And this counterparty system was set up to allow there to be an, an actual NFT on the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting because there's like a wallet in your browser. You know, there is all these that you could go search for the different Pepe's in there and they have a, like a rarity spec to them, right? So this was really trying to be like an NFT like we're used to. A lot, 100% of what you defined in your earlier definition of what an NFT is. And then after 2016 into 2017 is whenever the age of Ethereum NFTs came about. 
And now that we have Ethereum NFTs, then, you know, things really started popping. The very first Ethereum NFT was something called uh, Curio Cards. Um, I, ha- I like Curio Cards. I have some of my favorites myself. Um, but they came out in May of 17. And they were part like of a Ethereum conference, I think. But there were purposeful artists involved and the artists got compensated. And it's the first thing like that on Ethereum. So that's a fairly historical milestone. Then you get a little later in this year, just to kind of open some of this up. So we're that's May. You get into early in in mid and later uh June, that's CryptoPunks. So this is predating CryptoPunks by like a month, right? Mm-hmm. Um so you know, both V2 and V2 one CryptoPunks came out in June. And then later on in August came Mooncats. And so that's when the Mooncat project originally came out. You know, it got rediscovered in 2021. That's whenever it really kind of hit and exploded, uh, like a lot of this stuff. But um, all this pre, you know, early NFTs from this time period, in order to work on the Ether- the the modern Ethereum blockchain, because they're all older tokens, have mm-hmm. to be rewrapped in a modern standard. They don't have to be. You can still use them in the old standard on websites that are encoded for it. So like Mooncats or CryptoPunks, they have a website built around it where you can do trading of the assets and all that. Or like on Mooncats, you can acclimate them, and that's how you can wrap them is the acclimation process on there or whatever. And they make it cute with like spaceships and stuff as you do it. So, but, but that's what has to be done to take these old assets and to put them on a modern Ethereum blockchain. For everything prior to 2017, you have to do this thing called vaulting. And I've kind of gotten into it, Jeremy, and I've had a lot of fun with vaulting lately. And so with the emblem vault, and okay. so you load in the the what you want for the vault. You give it either where the image is on the blockchain or you upload it, and then it'll put it on. I think uh, I think actually uh, puts it on, uh, what is it, IPFS maybe? I think so. I don't know. Um, but whenever you vault the asset, you can put it in a description, you can put it in a title. And then after you create this vault and you execute the contract, you, you pay someone gas, you pay, I think it's like 30, the coal vault or whatever, every time you do it, then it makes a vault. Mm-hmm. And in that vault, you have different deposit addresses whenever, um, you are, it's in your wallet and you have access to it, such as, you know, NMC, Bitcoin, so on. And so what you can actually do is send these ancient assets, ancient assets to an emblem vault, and then it's going to vault it and then bring it to Ethereum. So that way you can trade it on OpenSea. You can have an image associated with OpenSea. You can take something like one of these old puny codes that actually don't really an image. They're, they're a line string of code and give them an image. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you can take something like a rare Pepe that has to be traded and you can vault them and then just sell rare Pepe's on OpenSea. There's tons of them on there right now. And so what's really cool about the vault is if you have the vault, then you can crack it. And basically what you when you crack it is you get the key codes to that wallet that was associated with each one of those addresses. So then you can go get the asset out. And if you want to move it to a new vault or whatever you want to do. So it's kind of a nifty way to take stuff that's pre-Ethereum and move it over to that blockchain. And then you get that as security layer, you can put it on a Trezor, whatever. Um, so I, I, I think that's a cool way. And it's a great, great way to rescue this, these historical items like the Twitter eggs, you know, like the eventually the Pepe's that you want to move forward that a lot of people forgotten about now they've discovered and they want to 
have a piece of it. They want to, you know, own a piece of history. And usually stuff that's vaulted is a little bit more. Just so your tips if you're buying. Okay, let's do some uh, historical tips. I like carrier cards. I like rare Pepe's, but only with mints under 100. Mm-hmm. Um, they're always going to be a little bit more in open sea, but then you don't have to do your own vaulting. That's great. They come pre-vaulted. Um, depending on something like this, maybe they'll actually be cheaper. So that's, that's my little, oh, and go do your own research. Go and look up timelines for historical NFTs that, you know, you're talking five years out. That might be a better lottery ticket, so to speak, than just grabbing the newest project off the street that comes out next week. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Historical NFT time. There you go. I mean, that, it makes perfect sense. If it's been significant and, and on the timeline of historical projects, it's likely to have, you know, withstood some trials and tribulations already and is still around. So we always joke, what is it, 90% of the some of the stuff or all of the things that are out right now will be gone in five years. So the the true challenge is finding this 10%. And if you can find something that's already been around five years, you, you got a good chance that it's going to stick around. You know, I think there's some of that, but also coming back to that, the community is value. I've seen just some incredible communities built up oh, yeah. around these historical assets because people that are really in this space for good reasons really have fun about getting into this blockchain history. They engage with each other. And it's, I mean, on that Punicode Discord, we're talking about like, what's the definition of art? And it's Punicode. You don't get it. I didn't see like one full floor bitch or whatever. It's all about, you know, hmm, can a speaker, you know, thing, keyboard be art? And I'm over there going, maybe, you know, like you're thinking about this type of stuff. And I love seeing that community that builds up around historical NFTs. We have some announcements later on uh, related to that that we're going to get into. But I think for now, Jeremy, let's take a break and let's wrap it up, huh? So it's, oh, yeah. Talk to you all a second. Um, we appreciate your time this week and stay in touch with our Twitter as we release announcements. Obviously, you can find me at Mr. Jerkdake and you can find our podcast at NFT Tales Podcast. And John, they can find you at I'm at Poofy Hair Guy and give us a shout out. Let us know if there's anything that you want to see with the podcast that you want changed. And good luck in your own hunting on the blockchain. Bye, y'all. That's right. Happy hunting.